Hello and welcome to Queer as Fact, the podcast bringing you queer history from around the world and throughout time. My name is Eli. I'm Alice. Today's episode is on the Australian artist William Dobell and his controversial win of the 1943 Archibald Prize for Portraiture. Before we start, we have some content warnings for this episode. We're going to mention that World War II happened, and there's also mentions that Australia was homophobic in the 20th century, but that's it. Oh, chill. Before we get started, I also wanted to mention our sponsor for this episode, Studio Sweden. Studio makes quality headphones. They are beautiful, and they have excellent sound quality. I don't think I'm going to be able to use $5 headphones again, but that's okay. Uh, so I would encourage you to go to their website, which is studio.com, S-U-D-I-O.com, to check them out. You can also use the promo code QueerAsFact, so that's all one word, QueerAsFact, to get 15% off there. I introduced him as William DeBell, but he was known throughout his life as Bill, so we're actually going to call him Bill for this whole episode. Okay. Bill was born on the 25th of September, 1889, in Newcastle, New South Wales, which is a lot closer to us than most of the <laughs> locations we talk about, to a relatively comfortable working-class family of six kids. He drew madly from childhood, as he later described it. He could never remember a time when he couldn't draw, and he remained a supporter of children's art throughout the rest of his life. So he'd do classes for children, and mm. he'd judge their little art competitions and things. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it is nice. He took freehand drawing classes from the age of 11 at what would become the local TAFE. TAFE being a sort of vocational college type place. In 1916, he entered an apprenticeship with the architect Wallace Porter, and he worked with him for eight years. And then he left for Sydney in 1924, and he worked there as a draftsman. At this point, the art world in Australia was still very small. But there were a few recently opened art schools, and he entered the Sydney Art School. So, you know, you can tell there's not many. That name's still available. <laughs> yeah. And he takes drawing and painting classes at night there. At this point, he wants to be a newspaper artist or a cartoonist, but one of his teachers recognizes his talent and steers him into painting instead. In 1929, he won a prestigious Society of Artists traveling scholarship, basically giving him the funds to go overseas and do art there instead. Mm -hmm. And so he went to study at the Slade School in London. He really, really liked London. The scholarship was designed to fund him for two years, and he decided to stay for nine instead. How did he fund nine? Misc jobs. (laughs) So he did a few gigs as a film extra. I can't remember the names of the films, but we do have films still that have him just as a film extra. That's so good. Uh, He also rented out his bed to a robber by the name of Stiffy. (laughs) Wait, what? Rented out his, not a bed in his home, but no, his own bed. No, no, he he only had, I think, like, the one room. <laughs> like, he had a very small... He sublet his bed. He sublet his bed to a robber named Stiffy, and so Stiffy would sleep in the bed all day while Bill was out being an artist, and then Bill would sleep in there at night while <laughs> Stiffy was out robbing people. <laughs> I love that he's called Stiffy. Do we know anything more about Stiffy? No. I need every fact you have. That is every fact, perhaps, that the world now has about Stiffy. <laughs> Stiffy. I wonder why that's his name. I think your episode's going to be downhill from here, frankly. <laughs> this is really about Stiffy, the London robber from the 1920s. <laughs> Yes, good. I'm glad I didn't cut Stiffy, which I considered. No. Um, All right, well, to bring this back to art, (laughs) 
I'm sorry if that's a disappointment to you, Alice. Did he ever paint a portrait of Stiffy? No. <laughs> Stiffy is irrelevant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I love him. But yes, so Bill really loved London, despite the fact that he had to sublet his bed to Stiffy to continue living there. Have you considered this as an option to help, like, get enough money to your queer masters? I'm, I don't think either of my housemates want that. <laughs> okay. Frankly. A lot of the paintings that we have of him are studies of people going about their like, everyday life, and London was a really rich environment for that sort of thing. He especially liked the open access parks of London, where you could go and see people, you know, speaking to the public for free and doing all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the paintings that he'll do over the next, like, couple of decades even are of these London scenes. Mm-hmm. He also went about seeing as much art as he could, so he'd go to galleries in London, but he'd also travel to Europe. He really liked Rembrandt's paintings. He recalled standing for hours in front of Van Gogh's sunflowers. And although he was learning a lot at this time, he didn't really make any effort to exhibit his own paintings. And so by the time he comes back to Australia in 1938, he's almost 40 and he's virtually unknown as a painter. Do you know why he didn't try to exhibit his own work? Did he not think it was good enough or...? One of the biographies made a sort of like offhand comment about him essentially kind of like wanting to save up his talent until he was in Australia so he could benefit his like mm-hmm. own country's art scene. But oh, that's I don't know. good of him if that was what he was doing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So he comes back to Sydney and he takes a part-time job as an art teacher at East Sydney Technical College and Mm -hmm. he starts painting based on sketches that he made in London. In the time he's been away, the art world in Australia has changed a bit. So the people with more conservative tastes for very realistic painting Mm -hmm. still very much kind of like rule the roost, but Impressionism and Modernism and things like that have started to get a little bit of traction in Australia and it's making for a little bit of tension in the art scene. What sort of stuff does Bill paint? Well, we're about to get onto that in quite a big way, so just, like, wait a little while. (laughs) Okay. But suffice it to say, he's quite critical of the conservative scene, but he doesn't really consider himself to be a part of, like, the modernist movement or anything like that. Uh, Okay, yeah. In his life, he'll paint paintings that belong to both camps, roughly speaking. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. During the war, he joined up with the Civil Construction Corps painting camouflage. Okay. Yeah. Huh. And we have a bunch of sketches that survive of American servicemen from that time. For the most part, his war paintings are quite notable for being of people in Australia doing construction work as opposed to, like, scenes of combat. Oh, yeah. So he never actually went overseas no, for the war. He just he, painted at home. He painted in the Australian countryside. I wonder if that's something that required any artistic skill, painting camouflage. Uh, well, he met a bunch of artists there, so I, oh, I okay. think so, yes. Huh. I never thought about that, but I guess so. While he'd been living in London, his family had moved from Newcastle to a small town in New South Wales called Wanji Wanji, and his parents had both passed away. Mm-hmm. So he inherited a house there, and yep. he would retreat there periodically to escape from the sort of like busy public life he had to live in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So where exactly is Wanji Wanji in New South Wales? Wanji Wanji is not too far north of Sydney. The most significant thing about it probably is that it basically forms a little peninsula that pokes out into Lake Macquarie, which is just, it's a big lake in Australia for our overseas listeners, which is most of you. And that is significant because Bill paints a lot of landscapes of Lake Macquarie and so forth. And Mm -hmm. we'll win a prize for one later. Okay. But yeah, given that he feels the need to retreat to this country house, he's obviously quite reluctant to be in the public eye a great deal. Mm-hmm. And this is probably connected to the fact that he was very secretive throughout his life about his sexuality. Aha. Uh-huh, so we've parts. arrived. Yes. 
We don't have a lot on this topic. We don't have any kind of statement from him about his own sexuality. He never had a significant other that we know about. He lived alone his whole life or with his sister, whose name was Alice, incidentally. Nevertheless, we do have some information that survives. His fellow artist and friend Jeffrey Smart told uh, Scott Bevan, one of Bill's biographers, that Mm -hmm. Bill was shy and that he didn't want people to know his true nature, that he was homosexual. So that's fairly straightforward. Okay, so his friend said he was homosexual. That's pretty clear. Yeah. We have other evidence from Patrick White, the writer. He was definitely no question about it gay. And Patrick and Bill met soon after the war and became friends. Patrick described Bill as a simple provincial boy gifted with lightning flashes of homosexual perception. (laughs) What does that mean? I don't know, but I liked it a lot. Um, I thought he was going to say gifted with artistic talent. And no. I was be like, yeah, we know that about Bill, but no. <laughs> Homosexual perception. Yes. The poet Robert Gray said that Patrick and Bill had had a sexual encounter, and he recounted a story about one time when Robert had been at Patrick's house and Patrick mm-hmm. had been ranting about promiscuity. Yeah. And Patrick's partner interrupted him to say to Robert that Patrick had once been unfaithful, actually, with Bill the Bell. <laughs> And White responded that that didn't count because, quote, Bill was no good at it. (laughs) Oh, Bill. No good was in capitals in Robert's memoir that he put this in. Yeah. That's so mean. But it's also very funny. (laughs) In the Civil Construction Corps, where he was working during the war, he met fellow artist Joshua Smith and he painted a portrait of him, which was called Portrait of an Artist. I'm going to show you a picture of this painting, Alice. Okay. So this is what Joshua Smith looked like when he was sitting for that painting. Okay, yeah, yeah. Do you have anything you'd like to say about his appearance? He looks very British. Okay, fair. <laughs> and this is the painting that Bill painted of him. Okay. Like, it, it is him, but it's also very, it's not abstract, but it's, um, like, cartoonish. Okay. Do you want to just describe briefly its distinctive features for our listeners? Like, all his limbs and everything are very elongated, and he's got mm-hmm. giant yowie hands. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Don't laugh, it's true. Yeah, like, it's, it's very cartoonish. Like, all his, like, skinniness is really exaggerated. And he also doesn't have a mustache, which he has in the photo. All right, that's not key. <laughs> That's but not... yeah, I think the main thing is that it's not realistically proportioned. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's a cartoon, basically. Okay. That's very interesting wording you just used there, okay. given the history of this painting. A caricature, that's the word I want. Joshua also painted a portrait this time of Dame Mary Gilmore, who was one of Australia's most significant writers of the 20th century. She's on our $10 bill. Oh, okay. I feel bad that I don't know who's on our bills, especially when they're women. I feel like I should know that. You probably should know that, frankly. I should know that, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Banjo Patterson's on the other side. I know that Banjo Patterson's on it. Yeah. See? And so I should know the woman that's on it. You should. Both of them submitted these portraits to the Archibald Prize. The Archibald Prize is one of Australia's most prestigious art prizes. It's for portraiture. That's all you really need to know about it. Now, as you've noted, Bill's is quite unusual in how it depicts the figure in it, especially for the relatively conservative atmosphere of the 1940s Australian art scene. And Joshua thought that Bill's would basically be considered a bit of a joke, and he expected to win. Bill won. Okay. Joshua and his parents showed up at Bill's apartment early in the morning sobbing and offered to buy it for an enormous sum of money. And that went on for quite a while. Bill refused to sell it to them, recalling that he basically thought, why should I? (laughs) I assume they were on good terms when they painted these portraits. They were friends, yes. 
And then that ended because Bill won? Well, we'll continue because there are further reasons why that is. Okay. Before we continue, I also wanted to say another quick word about Studio, which is our sponsor for this episode. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, Studio has really great sound quality in their headphones. They're also very nice looking, very fancy headphones. And they also have a really nice variety of products. So, you know, maybe you like in-ear headphones or over-ear headphones, or maybe you've been wanting to try out wireless headphones. Uh, Whatever you're looking for, they'll definitely have something to suit your preferences. So if you go to studio.com, S-U-D-I-O.com, hopefully you'll find something you like. And if you do, you can use the promo code QUEEREASFACT, all one word, to get 15% off. The... Awarding of this prize to this painting created a gigantic immediate uproar in Australian society. As we've touched on, the Australian art world is very into paintings that are pretty unrealistic, and this isn't that. He looks like an alien. Two unsuccessful entrants for the 1943 Archibald Prize, Mary Edwards and Joseph Walensky, took Debell and the Archibald trustees to the Supreme Court of New South Wales, claiming that this was not a portrait, it was a caricature. (laughs) I mean... So I guess we know where you stand in this matter, Alice. <laughs> no, like it's a caricature, but it is a portrait. Okay. It's both these things. You can be both these things. So very quickly, Bill goes from being a relatively unknown artist to a household name in Australia. Everyone, any random person in any pub, all of a sudden has an opinion on what constitutes art. A newspaper at the time wrote, this is as important a battle in the world of art as the second front against Germany is to England. Wow. During World War II Australia, this would sometimes push news of the war off the front page. Okay, so it genuinely was as important. Yes, this is seen as a court case that changed Australian art forever. It was also covered in newspapers overseas. This was a gigantic deal. I mean, I guess the court case hinges on what the Archibald Prize rules say is a portrait or if they just use the word portrait then like i don't know how you argue that in court so the question that's being debated in court is fundamentally like what is art yeah yes part of what the prosecutors did in court was picking over joshua's appearance in the painting and joshua found this very emotionally devastating you know pointing at him and pointing at the painting and being like do his ears look like that and things like that (laughs) They also had various quiet, old-fashioned, stuffy art critics come on and say, like, you know, I think that portraiture reached its heyday, like, 50 years ago, and all of the art that's happened since then, it's, it's all rubbish and things like that. J.S. MacDonald, who was an art critic at the time, said, it looks like an elf person, a person sick in body and brain. A medical doctor was asked to testify and was asked what state of health someone would have to be in to look like that, and he said that it looked like a corpse and not a new one. Wow. In response to this, DeBell's lawyer pretty much just established that these art critics were not up with what was happening in the current art world. And talking to the doctor, he asked him one question, do you know anything about art? To which the doctor said, no. (laughs) (laughs) And that was that. (laughs) DeBell's lawyer really focused on establishing that a portrait doesn't have to depict a literal rendering of what someone looks like. It has to depict an impression of individual truth to the portrait artist of what that person was like. I think I agree with DeBell's lawyer. Okay. And they used various examples, uh, such as saying that Rembrandt's sitters had complained that that didn't really look like them at all. Mm-hmm. And that royal painters have always tried to make insignificant-looking people in real life look very regal. Yeah. 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 Bill himself was questioned and asked questions about, like, 
did Joshua Smith look like that in all of these little details when you painted him? And he said, you cannot answer a question like that, yes or no, not in an artistic point of art. And the lawyer said, leave the art out for a moment. And he said, you cannot leave art out. (laughs) I can see why this was like the talk of the whole country. It sounds like both hilarious and genuinely very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And this went on for some days and the eventual outcome is that it was declared to be a portrait, not a caricature. And he was ruled as deserving of the Archibald Prize. Okay, that's good. I'm happy for him. Yeah, it's not really much of a victory. He has been hounded with abuse from strangers this entire time to the Mm. point that for the rest of his life he doesn't really open his mail. Uh, He wouldn't answer the phone. Taurus were milling around outside his house, even in Wanji Wanji, and his friendship with Joshua never recovered. I mean, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Joshua would say of it afterwards, it was caricature, but worthy of the prize. Okay, well, that was very good of Joshua to acknowledge that. In 1944, Joshua would win the Archibald Prize, but the Dobell portrait of him would always be more famous than anything that he ever did as a person. Mm. In 1945, Bill went back to Wanji Wanji just to get out of Sydney, and he didn't paint for a year. He said, I just lost interest in everything, painting and everything. And he spent time fishing and hanging out with locals at the pub, playing piano and gardening and things like that, and generally Mm -hmm. recuperating. Between 1945 and 1950, he'd maintained his lease on his flat in Sydney. Yeah. And in 1950, he let go of that and he started living full-time in Wanji Wanji. I should interrupt at this point that the locals apparently just call it Wanji. Okay. So perhaps we'll do that from now on. I think that's true of anything that has a double place name. That's true. People remain very protective of Bill in Wanji to this day, and it's quite difficult to get anyone in the community to talk to you about him, apparently. So mm-hmm. uh, his biographer that I mentioned, uh, Scott Bevan, moved to Wanji. Uh, I can't remember when, but it was quite a while. It, was, it wasn't until he and his wife had established themselves as locals that anyone mm-hmm. would really say anything about Bill to him. So he moved to Wanji just to research Bill? No, actually. Or he actually, moved there and then he became interested in Bill? They were driving back from somewhere else in New South Wales and they decided to just stop by and see the DeBell house, which oh, is yeah. still there today. And they saw it and then they were like, oh, let's go for a walk. And they found a house that was for sale and beautiful and they bought it. <laughs> uh, so kind of neither and kind of both. Okay. And then his interest, he, like he already had an interest in Bill DeBell. He's a huge deal, particularly in the local area. Mm-hmm. But he didn't think about writing a book about him until after he'd been there for a while, I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's especially difficult to return to Wanji to know what his community knew about his sexuality. Mm-hmm. Some people there today will tell you that the pub regulars, who Bill was friends with in particular, definitely didn't know and they would have shunned him if they had. Some will tell you, well, there's no way Bill could have been gay in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Others will sort of intimate that it's not a respectful topic to discuss about someone. Others, again, will say that only a few people knew. Others that it was common knowledge and virtually the whole town knew. Okay. Uh, And also that it's part of the reason why the community remains so protective of him. Will Mitchell, who was a former Wanji power station worker, said, it was well known that he liked males, but it didn't matter. Everyone protected him, uh, like specifically in context regarding his social circle at the pub. Mm -hmm. If anyone said he was limp-wristed, they'd deal with it. And I'm talking about hard-nosed blue-collar workers here. They looked after him. They thought the world of him. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so, like, it's a bit unclear, ultimately. Yeah. But ultimately, if they did know, they were okay with it. Yes. But we don't actually know how many of them did know. Yes. 
Sometimes this time in Bill's life is written about as him retreating away into this rural backwater and becoming obscure and a bit of a hermit. But Bill himself disputed this at the time, and he did begin to paint again. At first, they were landscapes, not portraits, and quite non-controversial ones just Mm -hmm. of the local area. But he did begin painting portraits again, and he won two more Archibald Prizes. Oh, okay. And he also won a win, which is a similarly prestigious painting prize for landscape instead of portrait. Were his two more Archibald Prizes of, like, more realistic portraits than the one he won with the first time, or...? Ah, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he does paint more portraits that are similar to that as well. We'll get on to one later. Okay. He was the first person to win both of those prizes in the same year, in 1948. Oh, good on him. And yeah, he just sort of like continues to be successful and well thought of as a painter for the rest of his life. His work was exhibited multiple times, including for Queen Elizabeth's visit in 1954. Okay. The Queen had a dinner with them in the background and Bill wasn't invited. And his friends were very offended by this, but he was relieved that he didn't have to go. <laughs> I understand both sides. Of that, yes. yeah. He also painted a portrait of Dame Mary Gilmore, who you'll remember is the woman that Joshua Smith painted the year he tried to win the Archibald Prize yeah. and lost. Yeah. And she really loved this painting. This is the portrait that he painted of Dame Mary Gilmore. Okay, so it's a very similar style to the one that he won that Archibald Prize with. Yes. Yeah. And it took him like about two years to finish it. He found it really difficult to capture her and like her essence as mm-hmm. a sitter for his painting. Um, I'm curious. Do you have a photo of Dame Mary Gilmore? Oh, yeah, sure. She looks like a human woman. Do you want just the $10 bill? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I could just look in my wallet. Oh, yeah, I know that face. Yeah, it's on your money, Alice. <laughs> but yeah, she really loved this painting. She said, it was extraordinary. I walked in the door and all I saw were my father's eyes looking at me. I hadn't been thinking of him either. He had been dead for 60 years. The family likeness was in the portrait, yet Dobell never knew any members of my family. The portrait Hmm. is not just a face and features. Dobell had painted my ancestry into it. That's pretty cool. Which I think is very high praise. Yeah, that's a very good review. I like that. Yes. He also started doing some abstract work, which he started just doodling with a biro in front of the TV, (laughs) and then he would later do with other mediums. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he said of them, when I call them abstracts, I was attacked and told they were doodles. Then when I called them doodles, an abstract lady said I was rubbishing abstract art. So now I don't know what to do. What I would really like is to be left alone so I could paint. Oh, Bill. (laughs) So as you'll recall, Bill didn't open his mail. Yes. Uh, And in 1966, he missed a letter telling him that he'd been nominated for a knighthood. I guess that's what you get for not opening your mail. (laughs) But they did manage to eventually get hold of him. Someone called him up and was like, can you answer our letter to you? And he was like, just wait there for five seconds, dug it up and opened it and was like, oh, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Look, personally, if I wasn't opening my mail, I'd at least be checking the post notes and be like, hey, this one's from the Queen. (laughs) And so he was knighted in June of 1966. Good on him. Bill was found dead in his home on the 14th of May 1970, having passed away the previous night. His final painting, which is of a young hand reaching out to an older one, was still wet on the easel. Tributes uh, flew in from all around the world, recognising him as one of Australia's greatest painters and also just a kind and gentle and warm human being. He does sound like a very nice guy. Yeah. As we've sort of implicitly mentioned he kind of had this double life where he was in like very high society in australia but he Mm -hmm. was also just like 
a regular bloke at the small town pub in his small town. His biographers, the two different biographies I read, both independently made the point that there was Sir William and then there was Bill. Mm -hmm. And one of his eulogies by the Reverend Donald Allen echoes this, uh, in which he says, he was honoured by his sovereign, but he was also honoured by his friends, by the man in the club and the man in the pub. He had tons of paintings in his house that had never been exhibited anywhere, and they were collected and catalogued, and his house was turned into a memorial for his life and art. You can still go in and see his studio today. Hmm. If we go to Sydney, we should go north of Sydney and visit it one day. Mm -hmm. I like Bill a lot. I like Bill too. A good man. A good man. I think he deserved his Archibald Prize. (laughs) Even though you think it's a caricature. (laughs) I think it's a caricature, but also a portrait. Okay. (laughs) With that, we've been Queer as Fat. My name is Eli. I'm Alice. We'll be back on the 22nd when Jason and I will be talking about Alice Walker's novel, The Colour Purple. And we'll be back on the 1st of September, wow, this year's going fast, (laughs) with an episode on the jazz musician Billy Tipton. If you would like to find us on social media, we are Queer as Fact on Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter. And you can email us directly at queerasfact at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.